Hey, well, God bless you. Good to be here. Uh, thank you, guys. I need a table. Right? So good, so good. All right. Hey, and I get to see you, too, because they turn the lights on for me. That's because I'm old and my eyes are starting to go. So I like to see that there's people out there. So it's, it's good stuff. Hey, can we pray for Pastor Jeff? We are blessed with, as Randy said, just an incredible pastor. And uh, this is the first time for seeing his grandson, Brody, that we have prayed for. And uh, I just love our pastor and his, uh, his joy, his passion for us. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Pastor Jeff and his family. We pray that this is a very special time as he meets his new grandson. And I know he's enjoying that time and enjoying the time with his two lovely uh, granddaughters as well and with his family, his son and uh, daughter-in-law. Just bless them this time, we pray. And we're thankful for uh, bringing him here and being a part of this church and, and for leading us and guiding us each and every Sunday. We are blessed to have such a good man of God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, you can see I'm kind of older. I'm older than 21 and maybe a little bit older than that. And, and I remember uh, going to school, and I went to a public school. I was not a believer. But I remember that I remember the time that we actually would pray in the morning when we started class. We would actually say uh, the pledge to the flag. We'd put our hand over our heart, and we would come to that place where it said, One Nation Under God. And then we would have a time of prayer. And actually, I can even remember teachers uh, going to the Bible and giving a passage for that. I, I remember, too, in high school when that changed. And all of a sudden, we, we didn't have prayer. We had a moment of silence. And now we were saying the pledge to the flag, and we did not say one nation under God. We just, one nation indivisible, just kind of moved on from that. And um, I'm looking around, probably uh, none of you remember, maybe maybe a few of you remember the times that I remember. I'm seeing some heads shake that you're, you're willing to admit you're that old. Uh, that's okay. I, you were probably in first grade and I was, uh, you know, in high school type of thing. But uh, remember those times. And what I've noticed over the years that uh, even when Hollywood does something about Christians, they don't pick on other religions, but when they pick on Christians, they're always kind of fanatical a little bit crazy, a little bit zealous type of thing. They don't always paint us in the right light. And, and, and I've watched, too, that just to have Christian values seems to be unpopular, not politically correct if you have those values. And, and I, as I think about that, I want to share from a passage of Scripture out of 1 Peter. Uh, probably about a month ago, uh, Jeff did a series on the main thing. And he was gone for a family reunion one Sunday, and you might remember I spoke that Sunday, and he asked me to speak on what does it mean to kind of live our life to be a testimony uh, to God. And part of what I shared, one of the scriptures I, I shared was from 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to kind of review that, but I've been kind of stuck in 1 Peter for the past year. It seems like this is a book that's just kind of really speaking to me. I'm always amazed, too, that Peter is the one writing it. Because Peter seems to have this kind of bold, uh, arrogant, almost uh, talk when he's a disciple. And now he, as I read him, he's kind of mellowed out. 
Often I will open uh, one of my classes with a passage from 1 Peter 5 when he talks to the elders and he's giving them some directions, some future pastors and leaders. And one of my classes kind of deals with people that are studying to be in that category. And I said, here's a word from Peter. And isn't it interesting how Peter addresses these people and how humble and kind of uh, maybe more more reserved he is. Because that's not the way that I saw him as a disciple. He seemed to be the bold one. Hey, I can do this. I can, I'm never going to deny you, Jesus. You know, he's the guy who gets out of the boat and walks on water for a little bit and, and so forth. And it's just kind of neat stuff like that. But he seems to be more reserved uh, after the, the death and the resurrection of Christ. There, there's just kind of a different view that he has. So I, I, I want to give you a lot of verses today, and I want to start in the, actually, the second chapter, and I want to look at some things of what I, I believe as Christ followers, this is the way we are to live. And, and I really believe our life is probably the best thing that we have going for us. People might deny the fact that they don't believe in the Bible, we quote from the Bible or something like that, but I don't think they can deny our life when they look at this, us, and they, they see us, and there's something there. And this is what he's, he's kind of addressing here. So we're going to look at some things and how Peter addresses these things, and, and the time that he's writing in as well. I mentioned before when I talked on this, he's writing in the time when Nero is the emperor. Nero was probably the worst emperor for Christians because he didn't treat them well. He used them as a scapegoat and really put their life on the line. I won't go into any more detail, but just kind of Google Nero sometimes and how he treated Christians, not the friendliest to them. And so he's writing at a time, and he's writing to Christians that are living actually in Rome. And they're living in Rome with Nero's the emperor, and he's telling them how to live in order to bring the gospel, to bring the good news out about Jesus Christ through their life. And one of the big things he's going to say is you need to submit to those that are over you. That's, That's a hard word for some of us to receive sometimes, to submit to leadership. But he talks about that. Now, it's interesting, too, that some of the views that Romans had of, of Christians at this particular time. They thought, first of all, they were, they were cannibals. Why? Because in communion, we do what? We take the bread, which is the body of Christ, and we eat it, and we take the juice, which is the blood of Christ, and we drink it. So they, they called us, at that time, they called Christ followers cannibals. They also thought that they were suicidal. Paul writes to Rome, and in chapter 12, he says, present your body as a living sacrifice. So they thought that was kind of crazy. All right, so now we're, we're, we're tagged as cannibals, we're tagged as suicidal, and then third, we're tagged as atheist. Didn't believe in Roman gods. So we were anti-God at that particular point. We were atheists. Interesting, is it? Because at times we call people atheists because they don't believe in our God, maybe. But here's a group, in that particular time, they were considered, Christians were considered to be anti-God. So they had this bad reputation at the time. And again, Peter's addressing them and telling them how to live. And so the first thing he says, we need to stop living this sinful life. And we need to seek God's word. And we need to live like the person God has called us to be and enabled us to be through the work of his Holy Spirit. 
Now, if you have your Bible or if they have this scripture on the screen, let me read you this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk. Just as babies cry when they don't get their milk, he's saying we ought to cry when we don't get God's word. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, if you have decided to become a Christ follower, and I know some of you have been there for a long time, maybe it's for some of you it's very recent, but the word of God should be something that we crave, spiritual food. God, I want to know your word, but not enough just to know it so I can pass a test. Know it enough that I live it out. Let it become a part of me. Let me put it into action in my daily life. That's what God wants us to do with this word, this word. He wants us to be cravers of it that we desire it so much. And then in verses 9 and 10, he says this, but you are a chosen people. When you became a Christ follower, God says, I have chose you. I chose you. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. I don't know what you did over Thanksgiving, but maybe you thought about thankfulness for different things. Did you thank God for being his chosen profession? We have a great God who has chosen us. He chose every single one of us to be his possession. He wants us to be part of his family, one of his children. He offers that to every human being that he has created on this planet. That special gift to be his chosen people. He says, you've been that, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but you have now received mercy. For the first 24 years of my life, I was not a Christ follower. And there are things that I did that I don't like to share with anybody because they remind me of that time and they remind me of my human nature left in sin and the choices that I made which were not always good. And I'm amazed at the fact of where God has placed me today, but the fact that he has chosen me and considers me his own possession. What a blessing. I love that old soul, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. And I can look at that in my own life and see what he's done. And some of you can probably say the same thing. I know what I was, but I know what God has called me to be now, and I want to live that way. Another thing that we need to think about is that we are to live godly, Christ-like lives. Lives in in the midst of a pagan society, a society in this country that is going farther and farther away from the things of God. We have values now that are different. A Supreme Court has voted and given rules to things. Now you can determine your own gender by your thought process, not by your, your, your biological situation. It's kind of interesting that we can do those things today, uh, that we give up who we are and for lies that, that, that come against us. So this includes a life of submission, and he's going to address that in chapter 2. And he's, in chapter 3, he's going to talk about submission, first of all, to the emperor or to the authorities, to the government, to the leaders, then, then to employers. He calls them slave masters, but really, to really look at the context and make it parallel to today, he's talking about employers, not anywhere close to slavery like we had in our country 200 years ago, but a different type. 
Then he talks to, to women that are married to unbelieving husbands. And he's telling them how they need to, to submit so they can win their husbands to the Lord. And then he's going to talk to husbands and tell them how they should treat their wives. And that culture, which was far different than the culture today. You talk about women's rights today. Go back and look at what it was 2,000 years ago, right? Quite different. Women had no rights at that particular time. And he's saying to husbands, this is how I want to treat your wives. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then he's going to say how we should submit ourselves to everyone out of respect because everyone has been created in the image of God. So let's look at the first one here, submitting to the authorities of everyone. This is the one I shared about, uh, you know, a month ago when we were doing that series on, on the main thing. Believers are to live a noble and exemplary life, and we are to do this, right? We are to do this, even in this world. So in verses 11 and 12, he first of all says this, Dear friends, I urge you, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, we are part of a different kingdom when we become a Christ follower. Our citizenship is now in heaven. So as foreigners and exiles, we are to abstain from sinful desires which war against our soul. Instead, we are to live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse us of doing wrong. They may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Well, let's go back to the first part of that in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Do you ever have sinful desires? I don't have to go too far back in my day to think about sinful desires. Yesterday, uh, my wife and I were asked by our daughter to pick her up at the airport over in Tampa. We live in Auburndale, so we're on the road, and we're on the Park Parkway, just, you know, right out here. And we, and we were going to the Tampa airport, and I remember, I think we just passed this uh, exit right here at Hayden Road, and we're going, and I watched in front of me, and I was in the, on the left-hand lane, and in the right-hand lane, there was a car and a tractor-trailer behind it. And the tractor trailer pulled out, I assumed, to pass the car. Well, he didn't pass the car. He kept even with the car. And so I had the tractor trailer in the one lane, in the left-hand lane, and I had the car in the right-hand lane. And nobody else, like, except for us, behind them, and me wanting to pass. I don't know how you are in driving, but when I, my father taught me how to drive, one of the things he told me, and I can remember it still, I can even remember the place that he told me, he said, never hold somebody back on the highway. In other words, if there's somebody who wants you to pass, that wants to pass you, get over, all right? In case you don't know it, the left lane is the passing lane. Now, if you don't know that, that's worth everything today. We could walk out and leave right now, especially if I'm behind you, all right? Especially if I'm behind you. It's kind of like fish or cut bait. Move if you're going to get out in the passing lane. Make a decision and go. But these things, guys, I almost wondered at it for a moment. Did this tractor trailer pull out just to test my patience? Because the rest of the way, all the way up to the place where the parkway parts and you can either go to Orlando or to Tampa, those two were side by side. For a little while, the car seemed to move up. So, okay, I'll get behind him in the right-hand lane. Maybe I can pass the truck. And he just kind of slowed down again when I was behind him to keep me there. So I just felt like I was in a football game and they were blocking me. And I couldn't get through to the quarterback. The quarterback was like passing in front of them. I wanted to do that. 
finally right at the place where it passed or it goes to Orlando or to Tampa, finally the fella in the car sped up and got in front of the truck and really kind of took off because he was going to Tampa too. And I got behind him and I was able to pass the truck. All right? I had all sorts of sinful thoughts and desires at that point. The thought came to me, I feel like I would like to roll down my window and give this guy a finger. And the finger was not thumbs up. It was not one way Jesus. It was another finger. And so that sinful desire grabbed me for that moment. Right? I wasn't thinking about today or anything else. I wasn't thinking, well, you're preaching tomorrow. But I just thought, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. All right? And I didn't just so you know, all right? But I don't know if you have sinful desires like that at times. You know, maybe yours is a little bit different. Maybe I'm the only one here that needs to hear this message. I'm not sure. But I know at times I have thoughts like that, and I have to make a decision. Am I going to act on that thought? And am I going to get revenge, retaliation? Am I going to get justice here? Am I going to let off my steam and my frustration? I have those thoughts at different times. Am I going to give in to this thought? Or am I going to say no? Unfortunately, the Holy Spirit was strong enough in me that I chose not to do that. I didn't even give him a thumbs up. I just kind of, you know, went my way, got to the airport, okay, we're safe, okay? But, you know, sinful desires. And he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from those. That doesn't mean the enemy's not going to plant them into our mind at times. But we have an opportunity to make a decision when those thoughts come, and they're probably not from God, giving some of the finger I don't think is from God. Maybe like this, okay. But otherwise, I don't think that's from God. And we have to make a choice on what we're going to do with those sinful desires. And we have to, at times, say no to them, all right? because they wage against our thought. The enemy is always trying to tear us down. The enemy is always trying to separate us from God and from self and others. He's always trying to do those. And those thoughts are going to come, and we have a choice as to what we do. Instead, we are to live such good good lives, such attractive lives, that even though we people don't like us, they not like what we believe in, They can't say anything wrong about the lives that we live. That's a powerful thought. That's the way that God wants us to live. And then he goes in the next paragraph to talk about submitting to others, and he begins by submitting to the emperors and authorities that are over you. And he says, show proper respect to everyone. And so in verses 13 and following, he says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Doesn't say some, doesn't say a few, It says to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, again, that's Nero, they know that, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will, God's will, that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And notice he says it again. Honor the emperor, right? Our political leaders. Now, I don't know what you feel about our president or the political leaders at this particular time, but as Christ followers, we are to respect them and honor them. That's our commander-in-chief. 
You know, those are our people. I get frustrated when I hear so much bipartisan fighting between one another. And I hear, and I get upset when I hear comedians making fun of our leaders and showing no respect for them. Whether you like it or not, we have voted that person in, right? There's been leaders in there that I haven't voted in, but my vote didn't make it at that particular point. I voted for somebody else. But still, that was the leader that is there. I'm not sure Nero was voted in, but he's saying to them anyway, show respect to leaders, all right? It's something that God wants Christians to do, to live that way. Now, this is not asking us in this submission idea to be uh, totally, uh, what would I say, uh, unprotesting of, of leaders that are doing improper things. All right, let me give you an example, and I think this is a great example in American history. Back in the 50s, even before then, we did not have civil rights laws. And the man rose up by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King that believed strongly in justice and in love. And in 1955, when Rosa Parks was on that bus going home from work, and she was tired, and she was sitting in the back section, in the black section, or the colored section of that particular time. And the rule was that if there was more white people on, even if you were a black person sitting in the black section and a white person needed a seat, you were to give up your seat for them. Now understand, black people paid the same amount of money for the bus ride as white people. And yet they lacked justice when it came to having the right to sit down in a seat if a white person needed a seat. So Martin Luther King and a group of people at that particular time in his church, in the Dexter Street Baptist Church, said, we're not going to violently protest about this, all right? We're not going to cause waves. We're simply not going to ride the bus anymore. If they won't allow us the right to sit there for the same amount of money that the white person has, we're just not going to ride the bus so they formulated a plan that people would either walk to, to work or they would share rides to work. And the whole city of Montgomery was changed for over a year because black people weren't riding the bus. Now, when the bus is not making money and the bus company is not making money, that seems to get people's attention for some reason. There was no burning of cars. There was no bonfires, no burning of buildings, anything like that. They simply protested by not riding the bus. And the economic change that that caused in the bus company caused the bus company to want to change some laws in the town of Montgomery in order to get black people back on the bus because they were paying customers. And it worked. It worked. Later on in 1963 in Birmingham, Alabama, black people were not allowed to eat in a department store at the lunch counter that white people ate at. <clears throat> it was for whites only. And so again, Martin Luther King said, well, look, we will sit at those counters. And because the law says we're not allowed to do it, we will nonviolently protest. And if they beat us or kick us out or arrest us, we will go to jail. But we will not retaliate. Why? Because we're Christ followers. I think he read 1 Peter chapter 2 as well at the time. And we can protest this. And by our actions, they will see. Now, if you read the history of that particular time, we know at the 12th Street Baptist Church, 
one, one Sunday, four black girls were killed in their Sunday school class by a bomb that was set off by some white people. All right? They later protested in the park nonviolently, and hoses were turned on them and dogs were turned on them, but they did not fight back. Why? Because they were Christ followers. And so there is a way to protest nonviolently against injustices that are going on in our country today. There is a way to do it. So when I'm talking about submitting, I'm not saying, hey, just let trouble go on around you and injustice go on and not do anything about it. There are ways to protest in a nonviolent way that will call attention to your Christ. Now look what he says in the next section. He says, we are to submit even to our bosses or our masters when treated harshly or unjustly. Slaves in, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters. And I need to say this. Slavery back then in Rome was vastly different than we saw 200 years ago in this country. Vastly different. In fact, probably three-quarters of the Roman population were in some form of slavery. You could sell yourself into slavery. You could work for somebody for a period of time until you paid your debt off. And you had certain rights and rules. And it depended on the family that you're in that you might have more money and so forth, even as being a slave. So it was vastly different than we saw in this country. So if you're reading at this and say, well, look, it's, it's, it's just like in this country. No, it's not. It's different. So a better way, more contextual way to interpret this is when we're talking about slaves and masters, we're talking about employers and employees, right? When you're working for somebody, this is what you're going to do, even if you have a boss that is treating you harshly. And so not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Verse 4, what is it? Verse Get my glasses out. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you are receiving a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. You've done right. You've submitted under your leader, even though that your leader is a harsh leader, a harsh boss, but this you were called. Why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you example that you should follow in his steps. Christ has set the pattern for us and to how to live as Christ followers. Christ is our example. In fact, he goes on to talk about the example of Christ in that. He is the one who submitted to others, all right, He came to this earth, took on human form, and yet he committed no sin, we're told, and no deceit was found in his mouth. In verse 23, it says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, and he could have, you know, kind of zap you with lightning or something like that. He could have flipped us off really bad, just a side note, all right? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you all were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So what is God asking us to do? Simply live like his son who humbled himself, came to this earth, laid all his godly prerogatives and perks aside and took on the flesh of a human being. And not even a rich human being, but a servant, right? A carpenter's son who washed feet. This is the Jesus that we serve. He washed the feet of Peter and Judas, people that would deny him and betray him. And so he wants us to act that way 
in that same manner. So even if we're unjustly treated, we are to show Christ-likeness in our actions. Now, the next section in chapter 3 in verses 1 through 6 deals with wives that are married to unbelieving husbands. And he's telling them how to live. How do you live that? How are you going to win them over? And so look what he says to them. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them not, do not believe the word, they may be won over without words but by behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be in that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and acquired spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called her him her Lord. Now, ladies, I'm not telling you have to go home and call your husband Lord. That would not be good, and my wife is never going to do that. So we're okay there, all right? But you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, he's not saying either to ladies, I don't want you to look good. I don't want you to not, you know, he's not saying don't wear nice dresses or gold jewelry. He's not saying that. But he's saying those things are not the things that are going to win your husband over. Sure, you're going to look nice, but it's your attitude. It's your demeanor. It's your quiet spirit. It's the humbleness of your heart. It's your daily going out to him. And so he's saying do this. Notice it says too in verse three, wives in the same way submit yourselves. Now I I want you to notice that because look at verse eight when he switches and turns to husbands. Husbands in the same way. Be considerate as you live with your wives. In the same way, be submissive as you live with your wives. Now he's talking to Christian husbands and he's telling them how to treat their wives. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Let me, let me translate it out a different way. Live with your wife with knowledge. Another way to say that, know how to live with your wife. Anybody been married for a while? That's a good word. Learn to know how to live with your spouse, particularly husbands. Learn how to live with your wife. If mama's happy, everybody's happy. All right? You better keep mama happy. So whose responsibility is it? It's the husband's duty now to learn how to live with her. Now think about that in that culture. In that culture, the man would usually say when he got married, okay, here's when I want breakfast, here's when I want lunch, here's when I want dinner, here's when I want to watch the game, here's when I want to do this, the TV clicker's mine, you know, here are the rules, adjust, because I'm the man, I'm the king of the castle. And God is saying, through Peter, through Peter, and Peter was married, all right, He did have a mother-in-law that was sick, and Jesus healed her. So he tells Peter, and now Peter's saying to us, it's our responsibility, husbands, to learn how to live with her. That was radical in that culture because that was just the reverse in that culture. Learn how to live with me. I'm the man. Learn my schedule and adjust to me. But now he's saying to husbands, you need to be considerate. You need to, to live with your wife with knowledge. It's going to help you. You need to be different. 
all right? You need to learn how to live with your wife, all right? And treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, what does weaker partner mean? In everything that I ever read, it never refers to intellect. The two things that I keep saying over again is maybe spiritual, and maybe even more so, most would say this, uh, physical. But even with that, I wrestle, because I've seen some women that can really beat up on some men. Right? So is it weaker that way? What I really think, my opinion is in this, it is weaker because in that culture, in that time, women were weak in the sense that they had no rights. They had no rights. They were looked down upon simply because they were a woman and not respected simply because they were a woman. I wonder if you would have even come in if this was Mrs. Hackett speaking to you today. Well, it was a woman preacher. We deal with that. I have students that struggle with that. I have young ladies in my classes that are feeling the call to go into ministry. And in some of the places they're there, they say, you know, men don't respect us for going into ministry. Well, I've heard some of them preach, and they're powerful, right? And I know they're intellect, and I know they're sharp. So sometimes we deal with the culture hang-up that simply because you're women, a woman, you are weaker, you're inferior, and you can't do the job. Ladies, do you believe that? I hopefully know. You can do the job just as well. You know, it's interesting, just a sidebar here. Uh, I, I read a book on, uh, that was dealing with attitude and how our attitude can affect how we do things and how we live. And it was interesting that women, when they were taking a math test, if after they put their name, if they had to check off their gender, they usually did less well on the paper. If you took the gender question off, they did better on the paper. In other words, women can do math and science. It's interesting that some of the professors that we have at school are females teaching math and science and do it well. But there's a stereotype that's there that considers woman can't do that. She can't add two numbers together. And so I think weakness here is that. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying, uh, I want you to treat them respect as the weaker partner. And in other words, he's saying to the husband, everything that the male society says is weak in woman. I want you to value that. I want you to lift that up. Simply because she's different doesn't mean she's inferior, all right? Simply because she's a female and you think she's different and therefore she's weak, I want you to change that. I want you to value all those things that make her different. Why? Because she too is created in the image and likeness of God. And when you men put down the values of women, and the character of women, simply because they're female, you are doing the same to God because she is also created in the image of God. And so look what he says. I want you to value her as the weaker partner, treat her with respect, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Hey, she's going to heaven too. And then look at the warning he puts at the end, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In other words, he's saying to husbands, if you don't treat her right, I'm not listening to you. So you better get your act together, husbands, he's saying. Right? And again, this is Peter talking. You think he would be male chauvinist of all in that time. 
And here he is humbled enough to say, hey, I need to learn how to live with my wife. I need to value all the things that society says she's weak in. I need to value them and lift them up because she's going to heaven as well. And if I don't do this, God is not going to listen to me. Well, the last thing he says in the next couple of verses is that we are to show Christ-like traits in our actions towards one another. Believers are to practice some specific traits. What are those traits? Look what he says in verses 8 and 9. Be like-minded. Think alike. Be sympathetic, tender-hearted, a readiness to enter in and share the feelings of others. Love one another. He's talking about brotherly love, community love, loving people that binds people together. Be compassionate. You know, Jesus is the only God of that particular time that was moved with compassion, moved in his inward parts for the hurts of people. That was unheard of in that time, that a God would be emotionally moved by people. Normally, they were above that. But Jesus was moved with compassion, and he wants his people to be moved with compassion and be compassionate. Be humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. This is not the way of a Christ follower. On the contrary, he says, he re- repay evil with blessing. Speak well of others. Believers are called to bless their tormentors. Isn't that what God has done for us? He has blessed us, even when we didn't care about him. So we were called to do this. We, if we do it, he says, we will inherit a blessing. This is what believers are called to do. God wants us to live out our faith in this world, to show respect for everybody, to submit to those that are over us, and even maybe to those that we might even consider under us. Why? Because they were people of God created in his image. You see, what I'm trying to say is it's not just enough to become a believer. It's not enough just to accept Jesus in your heart. Hey, that's the beginning. Hey, I want every single one of you to start there. But what are you going to do after you've accepted Christ in you? Are you going to be like a newborn child craving spiritual milk, craving God's word? That's what he wants. And not only that, are we going to become people that say, okay, I need to live differently. I need to not flip this guy off. I need to act more Christ-like even when it goes against my grain and what I want to do, those nasty, evil desires that I have. I need to say no to sin and yes to God. This is what he's calling us to do. And he has enabled us to do it. He's given us the Holy Spirit that we can live this life out. But we have to say yes to the Holy Spirit. We need to put it in action. So God is challenging. I know he's challenging me. You already know that. Thinking of flipping truck drivers off, yes. I deal with those evil desires. They're still there. They're not gone. They still come. The enemy bombards me with those, and I still have to make choices. But I want to live a more Christ-like life. I want to be more Christ-like to my wife and to my children, my family, and those around me. God help me in that. And I think you're the same way if you're a believer. I think it's tired of just talking about being a Christ follower. It's time to live it. So Father God, I pray that you help us. Help us all particularly those of us that have been believers and at times we let our own human emotions come out. At times we list to those nasty thoughts that come and we follow through. It feels good for a moment, but it's not the right thing and we know it. Father, we want to be more like your son. So help us to humble ourselves, to submit to one another, to show respect, to love one another. 
Father, that's hard to do sometimes in the contexts that we live in. But it's, it's, it's no easier back then when Peter is talking to these Christians that are living in Rome with Nero as emperor. And yet he knew that if we live this way, we can change others' thoughts. And they'll see something different in us. And that's what we want. Father, if there's some here today that don't know you and want to come to know you and enter into this life that is full of joy and peace and full of love, Father, let them make that decision today to accept you, to simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Change me. Come in. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me of my sin. Let me be whole. I want to follow after you. I want to live a Christ-like life. I think that's the cry of all of us today. Help us to do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great day. Merry Christmas. It's that season. All right.